All right, Mark chapter 1, the very end of it, starting in verse 21. I've got a, a lengthy passage here. So again, if you can read along with us. Verse 21 of chapter 1, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they, they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, Cross Point. All right, good, good. Uh, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're here in chapter 1. And uh, today we're talking about the authority of Christ. And so um, on Fridays, I volunteer at Lake Como Community School. And when I go in to volunteer in the morning at Lake Como Community School, I I walk into the office, and then when I go in there, I ask the administrator if I could please have the power vest. And she knows what the power vest is because it's that bright orange vest that as soon as you put it on, it, it, it's like 
a miracle vest. Like people start paying attention to you. They listen to what you say. And so I take that power vest on and I feel like a million bucks, man. I put that on and I walk over to the crosswalk where uh, the parking lot and the street meet. And it's really miraculous, the authority that I feel when I have this vest on, because As I walk out into traffic, I have the ability to simultaneously command cars to stop and command pedestrians to walk at the same time. It's just so much fun to do that. And then while the kids walk by, man, I give them an air five high, a high five, or I fist bump them, and I get to know their families, and I'm just smiling through that mask as bright as I can. There's my orange vest. Can, can you feel it? Can you feel that power? And, and it is one of the best times that I have each and every week uh, by taking the time that I have and using it for the good of others. Now, it's an authority. It's an authority. This world is driven by authorities in different ways. There's authority way up here, and there's authority way down here. But one of the things that we're going to see about Christ is that the authority is woven into the fabric of who he is. His authority is him doesn't come from somewhere else. He doesn't derive his authority from another. He is one who, as they said here in uh, the opening verses of this passage, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, I don't know if you've looked at the passage, but as you read the passage, you can't see anything that Jesus taught. That's not Mark's focus. Mark's focus is not on the words Jesus spoke or Jesus' message, but Mark's focus was on the person, Christ, and the embodiment of the authority by which he spoke. You see, Jesus' authority was more than just what he said. It was who he was. His authority was simultaneously word and deed. Word and deed. When Christ said something, stuff Happened When Christ went somewhere, things took place. His authority was the same authority by which God spoke this world into existence, and it happened. Let there be light, and there was light. And in the same way, Jesus Christ embodied the divine authority of God. That's what made him different than the scribes and the Pharisees. So Jesus is in the synagogue teaching, and there's a crowd there, and on the Sabbath, the synagogue was much like a church. It wasn't the temple. There was uh, not a holy of holies there. This is a place where they would learn, where they would grow, where they would have communion with one another, and where they would have communion with God. And Jesus is the one that's teaching here now. And there's obviously something decisive about his teaching, something different from his teaching. Because as the scribes went, they had to derive their authority from other sources. A scribe couldn't get up there and say their own word and say, I say this. They had to point back to Moses or another prophet. A a scribe in the Old Testament was kind of this combination between a a, a judge, an attorney, and a professor. And uh, they could administrate the law, 
but they could also use the law to render verdicts in legal arguments. They could also use the law to argue legal arguments, and they were also qualified to teach the law. They were people of high position and high power. In fact, outside of the high priest, when they went into the synagogue, they were the ones who everybody respected and stood for. Ironically enough, it was the scribes and the Pharisees who most, were, were most willing to reject Jesus. Why is that? Because his authority stood against their authority. So they didn't like him. They didn't want him to be a part of this synagogue, of their temple worship. They didn't want him getting in the way of the authority that they had. Today, the big idea is that Christ is the embodiment of God's authority. And with his authority, he brings healing and cleansing to those who trust. Christ is the embodiment. It, his countenance is a display of God's authority. His personhood is God's authority in person, in flesh. He is the embodiment of God's authority. And listen, what he does with his authority, as we see in this passage, is he heals and he cleanses. He serves. Mark 10, 45. For Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as we... I want to I speak to our hearts for a minute related to authority. Because I know talking about authority isn't always easy for everybody. Because I know that authority is a is a touchy thing because we've all gone through and viewed authority and experienced authority in different ways. Maybe when I bring that word authority up to you, it's a word or it's something that's been understood to be abusive and it's left you brokenhearted today and, and, and in fear because someone has used authority not to help but to harm, not to heal but to hurt. And it leaves you today in a place of brokenheartedness. Maybe you're in the place of hard-heartedness today as it relates to authority. Maybe you have this rugged exterior that says that there is no authority greater than me. And that nothing or no one can contradict what you desire to do for your life. And you are the highest and most ultimate and most supreme authority. You might not say it that way, but that's the way you live. And your heart is hardened because of it, and it's not getting softer. You are just reinforcing and reinforming yourself about how amazing you are and why no one else has the ability to speak into your life in order to change the trajectory of your hard-heartedness. God wants to speak to you. God wants to break that. Maybe today you're cynical because of authority. You're disillusioned. I mean, we've just went through, in the last year of American politics, a year of cynicism and disillusionment by and large. I don't care where you stand on the aisles related to political authority, but I know that there is a cynicism that is existing in our nation and the healing that everyone's talking about is not going to happen outside of God's miraculous work in Christ. I really firmly believe that. And in the same way, we're cynical of all authority. 
We're disillusioned by all authority. We question everyone in authorities, their motivations. And we wonder why they're in the place that they're in. And we resist being led by others because of that cynicism. Or maybe you're simply indifferent. Meh. It don't matter. It really don't matter. I don't give a rip. Maybe that's where you're at as it relates to authority. The reason why I bring those things up, because part of submitting to authority here today on Sunday, the Lord's Day, is laying bare our hearts before Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and saying, Jesus, Jesus, you have to change my heart. Right? That's where we stand here today. That's why you come into the building today. We don't do it by the sake of religious tradition. We do it because... Listen, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And we need God's sanctifying, changing power in our lives right now. If we can open up our hearts to the authority of the one who saved us, what hope do we have? And listen, all you have to do is say, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean like the leper. And Jesus comes and touches and says, I'm willing. And you're made clean. Let's pray. Father, do that. Do that. We don't read your word. Your word reads us. We don't seek to understand you. We seek God to understand ourselves through you. Father, help us. Help us. Submit in reverence and awe. And God, teach us. And while you're teaching us with your authority, change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to take us on a little detour before we get to the verse-by-verse exposition of our passage today. There's three scenes of healing that takes place um, in this latter half of Mark chapter 1. But there's a scene that I think inspires the other scenes and gives us a glimpse of Christ that is like no other. And you might miss it if you're not paying attention. It's the hidden communion of Christ. Look with me if you have your Bibles open uh, to verse 35. In rising very early in the morning, <laughs> Mark, M- Mark is pointing out the obvious here, he wants you to know that what Jesus is doing is really early in the morning. And then he says, while it is still dark. So there's, there's an indication here of three things. It's like a lot earlier than any of us woke up this morning on Sunday. Okay. Very early, still dark and in the morning. Jesus had just had this massive day of Fame. Like he made himself known all around Capernaum. People heard about this man, Jesus, and the news about him was spreading like wildfire. And that night, people were brought to him and he kept healing them. I mean, there was a line of people bigger than any line at Disney World. And Jesus healed and healed and healed and casted out demons and brought restoration and binded up the brokenhearted. And he was just doing what he does, man. And there is the fame of Jesus just continued to spread. 
And you would think that maybe the next day they would be getting a plan together of how they would utilize this day to maximize Jesus' impact. To see that Capernaum is a place where they could launch their assault on the kingdom of Rome. But where is Jesus? He withdraws. Everybody's still sleeping. And he goes and he finds a place of desolation. That means a place where he was by himself. It wasn't a place of any kind of attractiveness. It was just a place where Jesus could be alone. And he was with the Father. And he prayed. There's something powerful about what we witness here in this verse. It's that Jesus, the King of the universe is on bended knee before his Father, and he is receiving strength from the Father that he needed. How, like, we have to see that in our lives. If Jesus, the King of the universe, the one who could heal any ailment, the one who could cast out any demon, the one who could do Anything to make this world right is, is found bowed down seeking the Father. If Jesus needs the Father, how much more do we? If Jesus needs communion or presence with the Father, if Jesus is seeking the Father's love and grace, I don't know, he didn't need grace. Jesus didn't need grace, but he did need to know the Father's love just like you and I, and he needed to know grace so we could have grace. And if Jesus was before the Father, how much more should we? There is a source of this that we find Jesus was deriving from the Father. You and I, our days are filled with hustle and bustle and jostling, and we're so busy all the time. And there's so many important things that need to get done. And if we're not careful, what we can fall into is the trap that we have to do today on our own strength, that we have to do today on our own effort. And if Jesus shows us that he needed the, the, the presence and power of God the Father in his life, how much more should we seek on bended knee the presence of God in our lives? Now, what I'm talking to you is somewhat mysterious, isn't it? <laughs> You're like, what does that mean, seeking the presence of God? Like, like, what does that mean? Does it mean that I'm doing a Bible study? Does it mean that I'm reading a devotional? Does it mean that I'm, like, I have to like, like, like bend down on my knees and pray? Well, look at what Jesus did. We only have one verse here. It says he got up early, he was alone, and he was with the Father. And they had a search party going out for Jesus, and they couldn't find him. They come to Jesus, everybody's been looking for you, and Jesus is like, okay, no more Capernaum today, we're going somewhere else, because I came here to preach the good news. That's why I came out. Here's what I want you to understand about this hidden communion. The reason why it's a hidden communion of Christ is because we, we don't know what that looked like in his life. We have an idea. We do have an idea. But that hidden communion that existed in Christ's life should exist in our lives. And, and, and the hidden communion of Christ, it's not some magical formula. It's simply this. Show up. 
Just show up. Pray, God, I want to experience you today. I want to know you're real. I want to know your power in my life. I need your mercy. I need your hope. I need your healing. God, without you today, I can't do it. And on bended knee, you're asking God to fill up in your life all that is lacking. And you will never cease to be amazed at how God will fill you with his presence and peace that day. Go with your Bible. Maybe God shows you a word. Maybe you have a word that God has shown you and you need him to speak through you to it. But just show up. Too many of our lives are are void of this. We just don't show up. And that's what has to happen. Just show up and God will meet you. And he'll give you what is lacking in your life. He'll give you everything that you need for that day. Okay, continuing on. We see authority over spiritual oppression. Colossians 1 says that in Christ there is authority over thrones or powers or rulers or all authorities. It says even things on heaven and on earth. Uh, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, you might think that this is some kind of spiritual mumbo-jumbo here, that, that, that somehow there's, there's not really a, a dark force, and there's not really a, a light force, or a good force, and an evil force. But very clearly here, we see that the man who stands before Christ is not the man who stands before Christ when he casts out that demon. That this person has been possessed by something that is not human, not himself. In fact, that's what spiritual darkness does. It makes us less human. That's what spiritual oppression does, is it makes us less in every single way. Spiritual darkness in the heavenly places, spiritual darkness here on the earthly places, there are systems and structures that are seeking to advance the agenda of the devil in almost every channel of this world. You can be on Netflix, you could be on Amazon Prime, you could be on Fox News, you could be on CNN. Pick your poison, there is a demonic work that is seeking to dissuade you and seeking to cause you to be oppressed and you becoming less than human. And so in this encounter, and immediately, that's Mark's favorite word, by the way, he shows this, the quickness, the pace in which he's writing. There's at the synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, I'm going to do my best demon voice here. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? How's that? That's good. Thanks, Brandon. I appreciate that. (laughs) Have you you come out to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, there is an acknowledgement in Mark 11, chapter 1, verse 11, of 
of the, the personhood of Christ by God the Father. You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And, and it's, it's really quite intriguing to me that the next, af, the, the next affirmation of who Jesus is doesn't come from a person. It comes from a, a demon. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, the devil knows the Lord, doesn't know the Lord, but he knows the Lord. Like, he knows a lot about God. Demons know a lot about God. They know about him because they're trying to counteract what he's doing. And one of the ways that the demon is trying to counteract what Jesus is doing is by naming him, saying, I know you. And Jesus, what's his response? He says, be quiet and come out of him. And this man who stood as a shell of a human being is made human again. Darkness flees at the voice of Christ. Darkness cannot stand the commands of our Savior. And the wickedness of this world that seeks to tangle up and confuse us in every single way is undone by the simple command of Christ that says, be quiet and come out. The lies, the depression, the fear, the anxiety, the things that, 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 that the accusations of Satan just place upon us in a moment by the command of Christ is gone. Now, I don't know about you related to spiritual possession, which I believe that it can be a real thing. But one of the things that I understand about our lives in our world today is that darkness is advancing because we don't understand the power of Christ to turn it back. And he turns it back. And when he turns it back, we, we, we become human again. That's why Jesus needed the time with the Father. That's why we need the time with the Father because I don't know about you, I'm realizing that that time just breathes life into me and I, I'm human again. And when he speaks... Darkness flees. Continuing on, we see the authority of Christ over sickness. This is healing scene number two. Goes into Peter's house with his mother-in-law. Rather common thing. How many of you have a mother-in-law? How many? How many? Come on, you can admit it. There we go. We've got some mother-in-laws that many people have. How many of you have, had a, has a, have a mother-in-law that has ever had a fever? Oh, a couple of us. Wow, there we go. Well, you think that somehow this common thing, a mother-in-law with a fever, would that be something that Christ should be concerned about? Was that something that, that he should give his attention to? This is away from the hustle and bustle of the crowd. This is Jesus in the house with his disciples, and he's in Peter's house, and his mother-in-law is sick in bed. And there's a beautiful picture here of God's care over the small stuff in our lives. Paul David Tripp, he says, this isn't a public demonstration of his power and his glory. This is Jesus in humble sweet, compassionate love. He really does care about all the effects of the fall. He really does care about how the brokenness of the fall greets us in all kinds of ways in our lives. 
This is Jesus invading the mundane moment because of his love. There's really nothing too small for him. I was thinking about it a couple months ago. Um, some members of our church, some good friends of, of ours, Eddie and Natalia, had a baby, Melena. Um, Melena is just a gorgeous little girl. And Melena um, was had some kind of breathing issue, getting oxygen, and so she would turn a shade of blue, and, and, and Eddie and Natalia's new parents were like, oh, what is this? And so they go to the hospital, and, and I remember Eddie telling me, like, the doctors were just saying, it's okay. He's like, it's not okay. She's turning blue. <laughs> and they're like, it's okay. It's okay. And then I remember just praying with them regularly for Milena. And do you know what? She stopped turning blue. She's fine. She's got this beautiful smile right now here just a few months later. It was a small thing. I mean, it was a big thing for them, but it was something that God cared enough for to show them that he is the Lord over her breath. And he loves this little girl more than they could. He loves you, church. He cares about the intimate details of your life. Maybe you're, you're in the middle of a financial difficulty and you think, this is too small for God. Why should I even go to him for it? He loves you, church. He cares about those things. And, and what he did to, to the mother-in-law is he took her hand and she rose up and she was restored to vitality in life. And, and the overwhelming feeling of the Savior that just healed her caused her to serve him. What else would you do to a Savior who heals but serve? She served him. The next scene we see the authority of Christ over the unclean. The authority of Christ to make the unclean clean. It's the leper. So, this scene is quite compelling. And the leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, saying to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, we don't really understand a lot about leprosy because in that day, leprosy was kind of a catch-all medical term for any kind of skin disease or ailment. But there was one in particular that was the worst of the worst. And that was the one that at that point in history was highly contagious. And it was something that you were afraid of getting it. it kind of sounds like COVID today in some ways. And so if you were a leper, you would have had to wear torn clothing. You would have had to have your hair unkept. And when you got around people in public, you would have to say, unclean, unclean, unclean. You would have not felt the physical touch of a person since your diagnosis. And if anyone did by accident touch you, even your loved ones, they had to quarantine from the rest of the people for seven days. So this leper was desperate for affection. He was desperate for healing. He was desperate for presence. He hadn't known even the touch of his family or his wife. He hadn't known the companionship of anyone because he was an outsider. He had to live outside of camp, outside of everyone else. Many times this was in the middle of a trash heap. And so he was desperate coming to the Lord. And the 
leper came to Christ and Christ did something no one had ever done to him before. (laughs) Before this leprosy, no one had ever done this. Jesus went towards him. Everybody going the other way. No one's going to touch him. But Jesus, he goes towards him and he says, Lord, if you're willing. He doesn't say, Lord, if you're able, because he knows he's able. He says, Lord, if you're willing. Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the leper and he says, I am willing. Be clean. And the effects of this leprosy go away. They reverse. Now, the interesting thing about leprosy is that today it's a very curable disease. It's not as highly contagious as it was. But the interesting thing about the leprosy is that the leprosy wasn't the greatest problem. Well, it was the greatest problem, but it caused a symptom of the leprosy, which was a numbness in your extremities, your fingers, your toes. And so the reason why a leper would have no fingers or no toes is because sometimes they would be cut off because they would get cut really deep and wouldn't realize it and infection would start to overtake their body. And so it caused massive problems in their lives. And so when Jesus healed this leper, it was a reverse of the curse of leprosy. And he says to him, he says, go to the priest and the priest is the one who could diagnose if this man was fit for the community now. Go to the priest and have him tell you that you're unclean. And, and that's what he does. In fact, Jesus says, don't tell anybody about me or anybody about this. And he doesn't listen to that. We're going to get to that here in just a moment. But Jesus heals this man who didn't have any hope outside of Christ. Now, there's a lot in this world that can make us feel like we have no place before God or anybody else. Leprosy was one of those things that in that day and time made someone feel like they had no place before God or anyone else. Jesus, he comes in and he touches them, not worried about getting unclean because of this leprosy, and he heals them. I remember there was a a counseling session that my wife and I were doing with this couple. It was the the third time we met with them, and so we developed a really good relationship with them, and, and, um, and there was a lot of vulnerability that was taking place in our time together with both them and us, and, and it felt good. It felt right. It felt safe, and this couple was struggling with something, and they hadn't shared it with us yet, and so... Um, the woman began to share, and you could tell it was really hard for her to, to share this. In fact, she said to us, I had never shared this. We've never shared this with anyone before. She started shaking. She started crying. And then she said those dreaded words that have brought her shame for so long. She said, I had an abortion. We just wanted to cry with her. Carrie and I got next to her, and we were just like, Jesus loves you. We love you. And she was weeping, and he was crying, and, and there was a release. It was out there, that shame, that thing that made her feel like an outsider before God and the church. It was out there. Yeah, it's sin. Yeah, it's sin. 
It's sin that needed the cross, just like every other sin. And yes, it's a sin that brings harm to another human being, their own child. But but listen to me, friends. Amazing grace is amazing grace, and it's never sweet unless we understand that it is turned back the sin of our lives. And so coming around this woman and later this man they became married showed that that there is a God who says to you who feel unclean, you're clean. Because God's grace has covered that transgression, has covered that sin in a powerful and mighty way. You know, Satan lies to us about our uncleanliness. In fact, I I would be willing to bet that the good majority of us, all of us, to some degree, have some kind of shame, some kind of guilt related to some kind of sin in our lives that says that that I can't be known about this. I can't be outed here. And the church of all places, for crying out loud, the church of all places, if the church can't be a safe place, where where else can there be a safe place for us to, to experience the healing touch of Christ in his community? This woman, Adrienne Lawrence, she says, Satan tries to trick us. Even though Christ has made us clean, Satan still accuses us of being unclean. Then he tells us lies of how we can cleanse ourselves. The lies we hear are that we need a certain social status or a certain relationship status in order to be insiders. Of course, if we have all of those things, Satan never allows us to feel really clean. You guys know that, right? You've experienced that. You've, you've done what she's just said they've done. We, we try to like fill up or fix what is wrong with us, and then we do it, and we realize, oh, I still feel the same way. Why is this? Satan never allows us to really feel clean. So we feel as though we must fake it with our wardrobe or our Facebook posts. All the while, it seems like others are living this clean insider life and that we are forever on the outside unclean. We must expose this for what it is. Lies, lies, lies. When you get in the presence of God, when you get in the the, the place of God where he is ministering to you, he, he just starts feeding you his truth. And what his truth does is it's, it... it It levels the lies. They fall before his truth. And you can see those words of Mark 11. I'm his beloved daughter. I'm his beloved son. Because Christ stood in my place. Because his righteousness is mine. Because that's what the cross of Christ means. Now... You, you'll see in this passage that people didn't necessarily get that. There, Jesus, we see, he told the leper not to tell anybody about him. He told the demons not to acknowledge who he was. He, when, he, when he was out in that desolate place and, and, and the disciples wanted to capitalize on what he had done the prior day, Jesus says, uh-uh, we're not staying here. We're going to go to another place because I came to preach the good news. Why did Jesus do that? 
Why did Jesus conceal his identity? Why didn't he want to reveal his identity? Well, I believe it's because people thought Jesus' identity was a healer. He was some sort of shaman who was going to make their life better. They realized that Jesus had this miraculous power to heal. He had the miraculous power to cast out demons, but they didn't see that their greatest problem was their sin problem. They didn't see that they were like the leper who needed an internal cleansing from the inside out. They didn't see it, sin and its devastating effects as woven into the fabric of our lives. That's what sin is. Like sin is woven into the fabric of our lives. The only way that that sin is brought out of our lives is that Jesus weaves his authoritative power to cleanse into our hearts. And then it's all chased away. But they didn't see that. Now, we have the same danger. We can want Christ because of the things that he gives us or because of the things that he does. But we don't want Christ for who he is, the Savior. And the reason why we don't see we want Christ for who he is as the Savior is because we don't see ourselves for who we are, sinners in need of a savior. This is why Israel missed Jesus. This is why the Pharisees missed Jesus is because they wanted a Messiah that would help them conquer Rome. They didn't want a Messiah who would give them new hearts. And what we need here today is the cleansing power of Christ over our hearts. And that's not just like for salvation. Okay, we pray a prayer. He cleanses my heart. I'm good. That's Jesus before the Father kneeling, showing us that we need his renewal each and every day. Now, Jesus did not need God to cleanse him, but he needed God to be present with him in the same way Christ needed God's presence is the same way God's presence chases away our sin. And so we can bow before the Father and ask Him to heal not our ailments. It's okay to pray that He would heal you. It's okay to pray your problems. There's no problem that's too small for God. But to come to God for only those problems and not to come to Him for your greatest need. You know what it is? It's a denial of Jesus. It's worthy of condemnation. It's not knowing Christ. It'll only get you hell. But his grace and his mercy that heals us from the inside out is one where we can openly confess our worst and we can find his very present mercy in our time of need. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this, Lord, that your grace and mercy abounds for us this morning. God, I can't help but think about the person who, like the leper, has to feel as though they need to walk around and just say, unclean, unclean, unclean. Because that's just a lie that's been just repeating in their heads over and over and over again. Lord, Lord, bring them healing. Bring us healing. God, we, we know that the cross, God, was what you ultimately wanted to reveal to us. 
And so, Father, I pray that, God, your cross here today, the cross of Jesus Christ, where you paid it all, Lord, is the final word over our shame here today. And that, God, you would fill us with your presence. You would help us show up with you tomorrow morning. And we don't know what to do or how to do it, but we simply pray and you meet us there. God, it's all a gift of your grace, and we love you. In Jesus' name, the church says together, amen.